0: What's up, this is Nikki D with Medium Plus. I am proud to bring you an interview today with Antoine Fongiat of Bernard McGray Wines. Antoine is an enologist, has an MBA, and represents the McGray portfolio here on the west coast of the United States. Bernard McGray Wines includes some fine properties, such as four uh, Grand Cru Classés in Bordeaux, such as Chateau Pop Clément, and includes properties around the world, with um, Morocco, Japan, and Spain all represented. Also on in the interview is Julien Hervé of J Wines, which is the importer and distributor of the Magret portfolio here in Seattle. Julien also includes some other great wines in his lineup. Uh, I like the Benoit Cocteau Champagne for a personal favorite. So in this interview, we talk about Bordeaux and really get into the Production and the different estates in the McGray lineup. And I really learned a lot, especially about uh, how the terroirs of Bordeaux are distinct. So, the right bank, the left bank, Grave, uh, all these areas we go into detail. Also, I speak with Julian about the importing process and how he gets the wine from France all the way to Seattle and what that timeline looks like and the steps involved in the process. So, a lot of uh, fun information to dig into. This episode is mixed and edited by Chris Barr. You can find his SoundCloud portfolio at medium.plus slash chris. A little quick link for you. And I am Nick Davis. So without further ado, here is an interview with Antoine Fongiat and Julien Hervé. Cheers. May I pour some wine for you? Is this okay? Sure. Oh, yeah. Why
1: not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Think
0: we have two French gentlemen here, so I'll pour some <laughs> some French wine. <laughs> of course, <laughs> we will try some too. Of
1: course, you should.
0: Yes. Busy day today?
1: uh not. That crazy. I mean, you know, most places are closed or the wine buyers are uh, out, so it's uh, Mondays are always slow, or slower than I like sometimes.
2: Actually, every day a lot of back office work. So. Oh yes,
1: <laughs> there's always some. Admin.
0: There's always. you're welcome. It's
2: not the
1: funniest part of the
0: job, though. A evil. So some Sierra here, Cornas, um, yeah. Thierre Allemande, mm-hmm. this is the Reynard,
2: 2008, yeah, one of my favorite Appellation, oh, Cornas. Sure. Have you traveled everywhere in France? Um, almost, yeah, almost, I, of course not everywhere, but uh, yeah, because when I was studying wine, I could I could travel in um, um, Burgundy, of course, in, uh, in the Rhone Valley, in Provence. We did also Bordeaux, of course. We studied a lot in Bordeaux, um, Champagne. But I traveled also around the world. So sure. Yeah. yeah it's how, how many countries do you think altogether? I traveled to I don't know New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Canada. USA, and even
1: most of the wine countries, basically, if you think about France,
2: it, France, of course, uh, Italy, Spain, but uh, South America, and yeah, never, never in South America. Not yet. That's, that's my, that's my next uh, goal <laughs> to go and make wine in South America one day. And, and Julian, how about you?
1: I've done, uh, I've done Australia, I've done New Zealand, I've done Chile. Uh, Argentina is on the list for next December. Uh, and then, italy Spain, France, Morocco. Actually, I went on some of the. Have you have you done the uh, the vineyards in Morocco, Meknes and Fes uh, Interesting vineyards. I've never been there. I didn't know there was uh, much of a wine region there. There is, uh, surprisingly enough, Morocco. Uh, traditionally, they do a gris, and then they move on to some red. Actually, Banamagre as a as a Gevain.
2: Exactly, Gevain, Gevain, Chilean too. There's the excelsior yeah. we carry and there's another <coughs> one too, right? yeah two wines but the appellation is gear one um the the vineyard is um is planted pretty high in altitude because in this country it tends to be tends to be pretty warm so if you want to keep freshness it's good to it's good to plant the, the vineyards pretty high and there is the, the atlas yeah, yeah atlas, atlas mountains Atlas mountains so like
0: berber territory mm-hmm. yeah exactly okay. okay i'm gonna be in Morocco in June so maybe I'll see oh, you then. should definitely go out to uh, where, where are you going in Morocco it's going to be a three-week trip through France Spain Portugal Canary Islands and Morocco just cool with my mom to uh enjoy the summer yeah, the June summer is a
1: great time to go over there because yeah you know, the weather should be especially as you get south of France and Spain Morocco it should be great weather or not to not too warm still. I'm sure I love, I love August it. would be much more hot. Yeah, it's really, and, so and not as agreeable because you would have many more people on vacation, so. So June is okay. June is great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's one of the best part in the world. I mean, I love Morocco um, and I also spend Portugal, so I guess, yeah, it's a, it's a good. You have an itinerary yet? Or yes,
0: so thinking of direct flight on Delta from Seattle mm-hmm. to Paris, yeah. Charles de Gaulle. And then rent a car and do a one-way one-way car rental from Paris to uh, Seville in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, so do Paris vouvray uh, tour. Mm-hmm. Your your hometown. And then uh, Nantes where my great grandfather was born. And then oh, I know that. Yeah, I've got some some a little bit of French heritage. And then down to Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And then San Sebastian um Valladolid, Duro Porto, Lisbon, uh, Sanlucar, de Barméda, Seville, uh, then fly to Tenerife, Canary Islands, and then from there to Casablanca, and then Rabat to Barcelona, to Paris. And back
2: home. Wow. So, yeah. so on your way to Bordeaux, uh, when you'd be in Bordeaux, you are very welcome to come to the Chateau-Bapkinens. I would and, love to. Uh, all the other Castle. Fantastic. To be, to be nice to have you. We can of course visit the visit the vineyards, the winery, and uh, we can organize a great tasting. <laughs> I I would love that. So,
0: you were uh, showing me at the uh, J Wines event the other day uh, your portfolio book. Yeah. And it includes
2: four Grand Cru Classé properties. Exactly, is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, so the, the four Grand Cru Classé of bernat um are the Chateau-Pape-Clement, which is the most famous one, the icon of the, the company, because uh, bernat um bought this castle in 1986. Uh, it's uh, in the pessac leognan appellation, but it's a uh, classified growth Grand Cru Classé since 1953. So Grand Cru Classé of Grave. It's a historical castle because the first owner was the Pope Clement V. So that's why Pope Clement in, in, in French means, I mean, uh, in English means Pope Clement. Kind of like Chateau de pape Yeah, it's, um, so it's the first, um, the first Pope who didn't go to live in Rome mm. at this time because the previous Pope got poisoned in Rome. So he didn't want to go to live in Rome and decided to go to live in Avignon where there is the Palais des Papes um, in, in Avignon. And uh, he started to spend his weekend uh, in Chateau of du Pape. He knew that Chateau of du Pape was kind of a weekend house of the Pope from Avignon and initiated the creation of the, um, of the, the castle in the Chateau of du Pape. You can see the remainings of this castle mm-hmm. at the top of Chateau of du Pape. Uh, the vineyards. new castle
1: of the Pope. It's, exactly. it's like the, the Castel Mongol of these days, right? So exactly.
2: So, so Pap Clement is the icon. Um, one of uh, it became. It was. Um, it was um, rated that the seventeenth most demanded fine wine in the world by LiveX uh, in two thousand sixteen. Two thousand fifteen mm. was around 40th or something like that. So a big jump. Big jump. Yeah, which is the the result. I would say of. Uh, uh, first uh, very very hard work in the vineyards because we make great wine from great fruits, but also um, a lot of um, innovation and innovation in the winery and in the vineyard, but also respect of, of the environment mm-hmm. and also a very good uh, strategy also uh, on the market with um, the right price I would say uh, and uh, also good um, a good uh, promotion promotion on the market through Brandon Masados, so um, so the strategy of Bernard Maglès is works really well, and you also have so three other Grand Cru Classé, which are the Château La Tour Carnet, Grand Cru Classé from Haut Medoc since 1855. That's Saint Laurent. Uh, yeah, it's in um, it's uh in the northern part of Medoc, yeah, and um, it's a false growth and Chateau-la-Tour-Carnet was built by, was bought, sorry, by Bernard Magrès in 1999. And it's the actual oldest castle in Bordeaux. Because before hmm. producing wine, it was, it was a fortified uh, a castle fighting against, fighting against the French army actually at this time, because this part of the, of the France belonged to the to English, the English at this time of the year, of uh, this time of the history, sorry. And there was a long, long war between France and England that we call the 100 Years War, mm. and uh, one of the last castle um, which was resisting against the French army was the Chateau la Tour Carnet, mm. and uh, so that's why what is remaining today is the tower, the tower of the of this castle. That's why we call it Chateau de la Tour Carnet. La Tour means tower. The
0: tower. The tower.
2: What is Carnet? Carnet was the name of the the very very first uh, owner. Uh, mm. Who was resisting against the French army? I see. So that's the second. I would say the second of the Grand Cru Classé, Bannatres. The third would be the Château Fombroche. Fontbroge is a Grand, is a Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé. Since uh, two thousand twelve, so in Saint-Emilion, the classification appeared one hundred years after after the classification in Médoc. So
0: seventeen fifty five to eighteen fifty five.
2: No, it was 1855 in uh, in uh, Medoc and uh, approximately 1955 in Saint-Emilion because then they were nice. thinking about it and they, you know, it didn't come like that. So they were, they were, of course, um, it took time before, uh, how can I say, uh, take the decision. But um, I think it was f- um, what I was thinking of is for Medoc
0: the decisions in 1855 were based on pricing since 1755.
2: Yeah, exactly. So what is happening? What happened that um, at this time it was Napoleon III, who was at the head of, uh, of the country. And um, there was a, there was a universal, universal exposition in Paris this year. So all the industry of France were presenting their, their new product, their innovation. But um, but the wine industry didn't present anything. Only Burgundy, Burgundy and Champagne were, were ready to, to present the wine and the tools, etc., etc. So Bordeaux thought, okay, we, we need to also to to belong to this exposition. So they started to uh, Napoleon asked them to classify their their castle. And uh, they decided it was it was hard to choose, but they decided to classify their castle according to the price at this time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's why there are some castles which were not very expensive at this time, but today are, but are not classified. Maybe they would deserve to be classified. Mm-hmm. But at this time in 1855, um, they were not so, so famous and expensive. So it's somewhat of an archaic
0: classification, if pricing is the only consideration
2: it is archaic oh, it is this is true it's hard for me to can say to have an opinion about it because um, you know it's a it's a big deal in bordeaux this classification but somehow it's um classification is somehow classification is good because people need to have some um need to have some yeah, guidelines, guidelines, uh, but, uh, somewhat like Robert Parker, right. Parker points. Some yeah, something like that. Uh, like uh, when they go to Bordeaux, uh, the beginners look at the look at the classification. But then, mm. if you are more into it, you know that there are some castles who uh, maybe fourth growth deserve to be would would have deserved to be higher. But
1: you also have a different classification, whether you are in Médoc or whether you are in. Yeah, so or this or
2: is two. so this is the classification of. Medoc, the classification in um, in Saint-Emilion is different because there is a, a uh, Grand Cru Classé A, Grand Cru Classé B, and then the Grand Cru Classé. In Medoc, it's first growth, second growth, third growth, fourth growth, fifth growth. Um, so in Saint-Emilion, Fombroche is a Grand Cru Classé since 2012. Why? Because in Saint-Emilion, they decided to to not do as uh, the metal classification, they decided to to review the classification every 10 years mm-hmm. to make it more current. Exactly. So they test uh, to get the classification, they test the previous 10 vintages. And the uh, castle has also to show that he's doing a lot of effort to improve the work in the vineyard and improve the work in the winery. Mm-hmm. So Fombrouge, Bernard Magrez bought Chateau Fombrouge in 1999. Fombrouge was not at a very good i would say uh the quality of fombroge was not as good as t- as today definitely there was a huge investment of energy and also money to to um, what can i say to improve the winery but improve also the vineyard work they replanted some vineyards which were like uh, some of them were very old some of them were not um uh, comment dire and is De, de, de la régularité, de la régularité des mm-hmm. vignes n'était pas forcément bonne. Il uh, y avait yeah, des so manquants.
1: Like Irregular and, and the, um, the, the plantation wasn't straight and was like yeah. some some,
2: some in- vines missing. Inconsistent. inconsistent. Inconsistent, yeah, exactly. Inconsistent, thank you. So they did did a lot of work in the vineyards, in the castle, uh, and in 2012, a um, got the classification, and I think it was well deserved. So it's a reflection of those improvements. Exactly, exactly. So we could we can say that it's the result of uh, Benamagre's uh, hard work. So that's uh, chateau font Rouge, Saint-Emilion, um, in Saint-Emilion. And the fourth Grand Cru Classé is the Clos perregue So the Clou-Perregue is uh, is very small. Uh, it's a small pearl. And uh, in Sautern, the classification is even different than uh, in Médoc or Saint-Emilion. Also 1855? Also 1855, 1855 mm-hmm. yeah. There is only one Premier Grand Cru Classé supérieur, which is the very, very famous Château d'Iquem, internationally well-known, and then follow 11 uh, Premier Cru Classé. And among this 11 Premier Cru Classé, the smallest is the Clos-Peregay, mm. because it's only 8 hectares, as as our neighbours will be bigger with 100 hectares, 60 hectares, 50 hectares. Cloverage is eight, 8 hectares. So imagine the, um, the, it's uh, the result of uh, the Botrytis uh, on the grapes. We get the wine uh, from this grape which got Botrytis. So the Botrytis evolution is very interesting because there are three different stages of evolution of the Botrytis. And the first stage is um, when the Botrytis start to be on the grape that we call the golden golden berry because the berries start to change color and becoming uh, getting some gold color. We're, what color do they start at? Uh, we usually pick at the last stage, which is uh, then there is a. Uh, but b- before gold is it yellow or green? Oh, uh, that's normal. Like the ripe ripe grape, um, like uh, the the color of uh, yellow. Yeah, yellow oh, ripe sure. ripe semillon. When semillon is ripe, is tend to be uh, to be yellow. And when um, when the botrytis works, t- tend to be golden, and then uh, we have the stage of the um, full rot, full rot, and roasted rot. The roasted rot is the final stage. The botrytis, the action of the botrytis, we lose, we lose. Uh, how can I say? The botrytis, how can I say, give some flavors to the grape. And the grape is also drying, so there is less juice in the grape, but with a higher concentration of sugar and with special botrytis flavors. So we pick at this stage, but we also pick at the very first stage, which is the golden berries, because the golden berries get more acidity. um, So that's why together we obtain a very balanced wine. If you pick only the last stage, it tend to be a bit flabby and heavy and high in alcohol and very sweet. So it's good to have five percent of these golden berries to get some freshness and acidity to you, to your wine.
0: So five percent golden, and then you don't pick the second stage too much. Uh,
2: of course, we do a little bit because it had to be to be uh, very very precise like that. Say it's ninety five one stage and five percent a little bit, but most of most of the the stage that we use and the last one plus a bit of uh, golden berries. So the first is golden. The last is roasted? Roasted rot. What's the second? Full, full rot. Full rot. Yeah, I see. And um, so to make sure that, uh, of course, when you go to pick the grapes, the evolution of bo- the botrytis is not consistent according one part of your parcel and the other part or one, from one vine to another. So that's why they go in the parcel to pick the botrytis at the right time up to six times per, per harvest. So a parcel, they can go six times to, uh, to, to a parcel to pick the grape at the right time. Is, is it uh, clippings
0: of partial bunches or individual grapes that are being harvested, or whole whole
2: bunches? No, uh, part of bunches, according the evolution of Botrytis. So they cut bunch of grape according the evolution of the Botrytis. Leaving some grapes of that bunch? Yeah, because the Botrytis will come after. I see. So six, uh, is it three? Is that the phrase you use? The tree, yeah, the sorting is, uh, is finally made uh, in the parcel. Because when you see that, uh, for example, if only half of, the, of your bunch um, has botrytis, you cut the part which has botrytis, which mm-hmm. usually starts from the bottom of the bunch going up. Going up. So usually you can cut half of your bunch.
0: I see. But th- so the six uh, times through the vineyard what is the f- the word for going each time is that a tree
2: oh uh, yeah tree exactly yeah. it's a uh, six tree I, I see three, six tree yeah.
0: i see okay what causes the botrytis?
2: Uh, is it a water influence of the river it's um it's the the mist this is, you call mist mm-hmm. sure um because there is a river called the seron which is a small river the temperature of this seron of the water of this seron is colder is cold because the water is going through the forest and temperature is always a bit lower in the um, in the forest than the water which comes from the Gironde estuary and the Garonne River. So the temperature of the Gironde estuary and then the Garonne River is higher than the seron. Mm-hmm. So when the seron is going to the garon, mm-hmm. there is a difference of temperature. So the cold water goes to, I would say, warmer water. And this makes some fog or mist. Mm-hmm. And this mist, this mist stay every morning on the parcel of Sauternes. Mm-hmm. So it's really good because the botrytis is finally mushroom so mushroom needs this humidity mm-hmm. in the morning to grow but if it will be too wet this mushroom will become what we call the the black rot mm-hmm. which is not good but during the day because it's very sunny in, uh, in autumn or in fall in this area when the mist disappear then the the grapes are exposed to the sun and dry so that's why this this uh, rot becomes golden rot which is the good botrytis, the botrytis cinerea, and not the black rot. And not the black rot. So it's a, bi- a balance. Exactly. So that's why we are very careful in France to to not, uh, how can I say, perturbate this uh, this uh, environment because we know that the, the, cr- the this mist comes from a certain temperature of the water. So if you perturbate this, um, how can I say ecosystem or this this, uh, then you can then the mist can disappear and if there is no mist there is no golden botrytis so that's why they they are very careful when they build uh, for example a road a new road or if they they build a train there there uh, is a big
1: controversy right now about a high speed lane between Bordeaux and Toulouse that exactly pretty close to the
2: yeah because what is happening is that this cold water is the result of um, draining water through this forest. Mm. If you perturbate the, the, this water, um, the, the way of this water, then the temperature can be influenced by, I don't know, maybe change way or maybe it goes to the sun or you don't know. So that's why they are very careful to, to avoid perturbating this uh, this ecosystem. Yeah.
0: Sure, that makes sense.
2: So with the, the four
0: classified Bernard Magray properties. Mm-hmm. There's essentially four different classification systems that we're looking at. Two of which were done in 1855. Yes. Which was uh, the Midoc yes. and Sauternes. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's the Saint-Emilion uh, Grand Cru Classé, which is, if I'm correct, different than Saint-Emilion Grand
2: Cru AOP. Right. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. The Saint-Emilion—it's a bit complicated, uh, that, that's for sure. But Saint-Emilion, there is the appellation are Saint-Emilion, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, and Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé. And in this Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé, there is Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé A, Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé B, and the other Saint-Emilion Grand Cru Classé.
0: And then separate from that, just the Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, there are dozens of chateau that can label that as long as they're within the exactly. geographic boundary. exactly
2: it's a it's an area a limited area mm-hmm. uh you can you can write the Saint-Emilion Grand Cru if you are growing your grapes on the Saint-Emilion Grand Cru area
0: but it's not a reflection of chateau quality like the like <laughs> like, like um
1: i mean it, not in the same way Yeah, not, not not in the same way down. yeah exactly don't have a jury that said okay this this has to be classified and then okay. actually i will add because in this market you see it quite often there's Montagne sentiment which is even different than the sentiment operations but a lot of people tend to call, let's forget the Montagne and just it sentiment so you have a lot of different sentiment in this
2: market exactly if you but of course because the um, uh, appellation if you want to get the appellation you must pass the agreement that Every year, the quality of your wine is good enough to get the appellation oh, that you can be Saint-Emilion or Saint-Emilion Grand Cru. They have some uh, different standards. If you want to have the appellation Saint-Emilion Grand Cru, you must follow a certain standard. And then at the end, you must present the wine that you are making to say, uh, an organism, which you going to check the quality of your wine and say, okay, that's good enough to be to be a Saint-Emilion Grand Cru and same for the Grand Cru Classé.
0: Are those the standards that are written? Is it the Cajé
2: de charge? Exactly, yeah, it's okay des charge. According uh the, the, the yield per hectare will change according to your de charge and of course your wine making wine making techniques are gonna change. Mm. So um, yeah, it's a gra- grape, grape and your grape, of the, grape of the grape. Percentage of the grape. But in, in Bordeaux most of the time, uh, in Saint emilion for example, if you are Saint emilion Grand Cru or Saint emilion Grand Cru classé the same grapes are, are, are allowed. So
0: But perhaps with uh Comparing Bordeaux AOP to Saint Emilion, the yields would be more
2: strict. Yeah, exactly. the The difference comes with uh, comes from the, the terroir, and comes also for the, uh, the the yield per hectare. comes from the quality of the terroir, the quality of the exposure exposure to the sun, etc., etc. Then, um, yeah, each each appellation has its uh, quality and was. Uh, has its terroir uh, specificities. Mm.
0: Certainly. So we mentioned the, the two 1855 classifications, uh, then Saint-Emilion, then Graves, is that 59 for Graves? Uh, for the Graves
2: it's 1953, which was, no, but you're right. It's uh, it was reviewed in 1959. They started in 1953 and that's reviewed in 1959.
0: And that is for dry wines?
2: So that was for the for the the grave area, which um, were um, mainly red wine classified. <coughs> Several whites, but um, mainly reds at this time, because not a lot of castles were producing uh, white.
1: But Pape Clement has a white, for instance. Is that considered as a Grand Cru Classé, or is that considered no, as? No,
2: unfortunately, the Pape Clement white uh, is the perfect example that things are moving, and that even. Papillon White is considered as one of the best white wine in Bordeaux, uh, but it's not a it's not a Grand Cru Classé. It's a Pessac Léognan operation because mm. in 1953, uh, Papillon was not producing white wine. They started to produce white wine in the beginning of, of 90s, so um, so we don't have the classification mentioned on the Papillon White. But today, if you taste, if you do blind testing with uh, Papillon White, you will see that it's a I would say number one, number s- one, the uh, white wine from Bordeaux. Similar to perhaps, was it
0: Carbogneur would be a, 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 like, it would be at that level or, or something like another classified Grav wine.
2: Exactly. yeah.
0: So then aside from the Bordeaux properties, uh, which is very unique to have the four, classify you're the it only it is
2: unique Ben is, is the only owner to have a four grand classified the goal is not to have hundreds of grand Classes as some people said or when when gonna be the fifth when gonna be the sixth this is not the goal the goal is to really have uh, bordeaux is a very uh, is a, is a very interesting wine region because there are different terroirs in bordeaux very different from one to another so the goal is to to present the i would say almost the the most important terroir from Bordeaux mm. um, uh, with Bernard range of wine. So that's why we're able to to have a, a beautiful Grave wine, wine from Grave, a beautiful wine from Médoc, a beautiful wine from Sauternes, and a beautiful wine from Saint-Emilion, the, the, the right bank.
0: What would you say are the factors that influence those terroir uh, and then impact the final wine?
2: Um, for example, uh, let's compare first of all the left bank and the right bank. Um, so, the left bank, most of the terroir, is, the soil is made, sorry, because first let's talk about the soil. And in, um, in the left bank, there is a lot of gravel uh, from the, the Garonne. This uh, gravel came from the Pyrenees mountains. So, on the left bank, there is more gravel than on the right bank, which is mainly made with uh, limestone and clay, a lot of clay. So the idea, first, there is a first selection through the through the soil because on the right bank, gravels makes the wine the, the, the soil very um, drained because the gravels don't retain the water as the clay is retaining the water. So, um, for example, on the um, on the right bank, when it's uh, during the winter, it's raining quite a lot in uh, in Bordeaux. So um, the clay is, I would say absorbing the water and swelling, absorbing the water, and during spring the evaporation of the water cool down the the soil. So in the clay, the clay, soil with clay um, most of the time wet, which is very good for the Merlot, the Merlot likes this condition. We say in French, Merlot pied dans l'eau, means the Merlot likes to have his feet in the water. So that's why there are a lot of source of water in the in the water point in the in the in the soil of Saint Emilion. It's very well known for that. On the left bank, it's mainly historically. It was mainly Cabernet Sauvignon because Cabernet Sauvignon loves the gravels. Lacks, needs needs to be how can I say um, stressed a bit the Cabernet Sauvignon uh, to ripe enough. So by missing a bit of water, it's um, stressing little bit the, the Cabernet Sauvignon, which pushed push the, the vine to think, okay, I need to be focused on my grape because now we are missing a bit of water. Mm. But what happened with time is that they found out, of course, that the clay, which are also, for example, more in the grave area, that we have, uh, we have limestone and clay, but also gravel, the, um, in the in the grave area, it was also good for the Merlot, so finally more time was going. More they were planting Merlot on the left bank. I mean, in Pessac, uh, in pessac Leonion appellation. So that's why, in, in uh, I would say, a lot of castle from Grave, and pessac appellation, there is usually a, a lot of um, a lot of Merlot in the blend, which is the example For example, Pap Clement has roughly uh, 45% of Merlot in its blend. Depends on the year, but quite a high high percentage. And uh, if you go to Médoc, the, the particularities is also that it's a lot of gravel in the communal appe- appellation, mm-hmm. which are, um, which are uh, uh, Saint-Julien, Saint-Julien-Poillac, and Saint-Estef. Mm-hmm. As if, if you go a bit inland, there is more, more clay in the soil. So that's why, for example, Chateau Latour-Carnet, which is just beside this uh, appellation, but more inland than this appellation has more clay. So that's why in our blend, in our um, Château Latour Carnet blend, there is more Merlot in our blend.
0: So the closer to the river, the more of that uh, gravel is going to be present. Yeah, because we, the water We can cares. say that.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we can say that. Um, on the other hand, comparing left bank and right bank, on the on the left bank there is a strong influence from the Atlantic Ocean, so. Um, the result is that it's windy, uh, can be wet sometimes, but on the other hand, it's never very, it's never very cold during the winter, so we don't have frost. Oh, it's rare. Sometimes it happened that we had frost during spring, but it's pretty rare for, for Bordeaux comparing some other area, mm-hmm. uh, more inland in France. Mm-hmm. Um, so an influence from the Atlantic Ocean and an influence from this Garonne estuary. So Medoc vineyard is located between the ocean and this garon estuary. So it gives some freshness that we can also find in our wine. And that's why also it's good to have um, on our terroir certain proportion of Merlot, which I like, like to be the, the weather condition. And uh, Cabernet Sauvignon are really planted on our very well-drained parcel. On the right bank, it's a bit warmer. It's a bit warmer than on the left bank. I would say a bit drier. Because the Merlot is a grape variety which is ripe more early than the Cabernet Sauvignon, so more early, but fin, earlier, but with a warmer climate, then the Merlot is uh, really soft and nice on the on the right bank too. That's why there is a uh, this style of uh, of uh, Merlot from Saint Emilion, for example, which is a, a very well ripe and uh, round uh, with, with a good proportion of alcohol. Uh, it's uh, very well balanced with the Cabernet Franc, for example. It's a very well good blend to blend the Merlot and the Cabernet Franc because the Merlot will give you some nice red fruit flavors. Um, medium structure, but good um, medium, medium plus body mm-hmm. as the Cabernet Franc will give you more freshness and also very nice floral flavors. So that's why the great castle in Saint-Emilion, for example, are usually adding some Cabernet Franc in their blend. For aromatic uh, addition? Exactly, for more complexity. Do
0: you see much influence of Petit Verdot, Malbec, or Carmenier?
2: Of course. Um, The Petit Verdot is a grape variety which is a bit rustic. Um, If you you do 100% Petit Verdot, I don't say that it's not a good wine because some of them can be interesting. But um, it's a great variety that we like to add in the blend, as the um, like the pepper that you add on your on your on your dish when it's missing a bit of spice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the petit verdot we had to add, we like to add three to four percent of petit verdot in our blend, mainly on the left bank. Petit verdot doesn't grow very well on the right bank. Same, petit verdot is a bit like cabernet sauvignon, needs to have dry soil condition. Malbec tend to tend to be good on the right bank. It's a bit the, the opposite of the, the the petit verdot. The Malbec is um, has has maybe a, a good future future in the, on the right bank, but it's hard it's hard to it's hard to say. But definitely, there was a small proportion of Malbec in our blend in Saint Emilion.
1: On, a, on that note, maybe interesting to talk about what you do at Pap Clement with you know, trying to grow from from new um, Malbec and expand a little bit the grapes, um, um, just just as preparation for global warming in some ways. I don't know if you've got more detail you can share. But,
2: um. Yeah, exactly. No, the, it's uh, so we have a nursery, but it's at Chateau Latour Carnet. We have a nursery where we keep 50, 50 grape varieties, so it's it's amazing because. Um, you can see you can see how the the grapes are feeling, I would say, on mm-hmm. the on the terroir today, and uh, the goal is to observe this grape variety to see what would be maybe the the future grape variety uh, regarding the global warming. So definitely um, from my point of view, but um, the Cabernet Sauvignon has a great potential because we can see that some. Warmer climate are doing great, poten- great Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh sure, uh, but uh, on a different style. So Cabernet Sauvignon has has a great potential. In um, I'm not really worried for Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, but then uh, we will see what which grape variety will, will have great potential. Maybe the Malbec has also some potential. We are in this in this nursery. We have grape variety from the Rhône Valley. Um, we have great variety from Italy, from Spain uh, that we observe and see how do they, how do they like the, 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 the
0: terroir. Is there any concern that with global warming, the rustic or earthy styles that are common in the old world might get lost due to the increased ripeness?
2: No, because I think that even when the when we have nice ripeness, we can keep some uh, minerality fla- mineral flavors, because this you get the minerality when you um what can I say when you do a, a good work in your in your vineyards because at Clement for example, in in every each Banyan grace Grand Cru Classé, we cover we cover the soil we have we have a grass cover everywhere because the grass cover push. The vine to to go deeper in the soil to can say to get the 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 oligoelement etc that the, the vines need. So by having this uh, root very deep in the soil, then you get I would say a better food than if the if the root would stay at the top the top of the soil. So so we definitely keep uh, these mineral mineral flavors by by driving our vineyard this way. So the, the grass cover does that cause a competition for that
0: um, that thinner uh, soil, so that the, the vines want to kind of get away from the grass.
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The we say that the roots are diving. Uh, a young. That's why the, the young vines are much more sensitive on the on drought 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 too dry when it's when it's dry, when uh, dry uh, drought yeah, drought yeah. Because uh, because the water goes deep in the soil and, and at the surface of the soil the, there is no water anymore so that's why uh, you can irrigate in France your vineyards only the two first years then it's forbidden to r- irrigate um, <coughs> so there is this competition with the, the grass so that's why the vine tend to the roots of the di- the wine the vine tend to, to dive and to get the, the minerality from deep. Uh, the soil. I
0: see. Is there is there an aquifer or a water table deep down that the vines eventually hit? Or is it because or or is that not the case because the river is so close?
2: Um,
0: Is there much of a bedrock that that the vines have to penetrate to find water?
2: Or is is there water close to the surface? Depends. For example, in Saint-Emilion, the water can be close to the surface as uh, as on the on the left bank the the roots need to be need to go uh, much deeper in the soil to find uh, to find the water
0: mm. so outside of bordeaux uh, where are the other bernard Magre properties down
2: so bernard um, has some other properties um, which are located in nine different countries so there are estates bernard-magret owns estate so one estate is located in Roussillon, which is the Domaine de Monet, producing three different levels of quality of wines, like the entry level, uh, that we call the pleasure selection, which is, uh, which is a blend of, um, of our um, wine and also some wine that we buy from our partners, so which allow us to have a bigger um, volume on this wine. But uh, that's the result of the selection of the enologists from Banamagres. Banamagres enologists are working hand to hand with our partner to select the uh, select the grapes and build the technical itinerary to make sure that they respect the winemaking that we want. Then we have um, uh, we have a one step. Higher, which uh, which is our um, our estate wine, <coughs> which are the I would say the f- yeah the first wine from our estate, and then there is that what we call the emotion selection, which is our top cuvée wines from this estate. So three different qualities mm. and three different style for of course three different price. And this this is uh, like that for the Domaine de Monet in Roussillon. Domaine des Songes in Languedoc, Château des Muraires in Provence, and Bernard Magres is also working to have a property in, uh, in the Rhône Valley, in uh, Côte de Rhône village Laudin, which is going to be Domaine du Prélat. So why these properties? Because there is um, a family link with uh, Bernard Magres in the south of France <coughs> which is um part of uh, his family was from the south of france so he spent a lot of time in the south of france when he was younger um so that's why each wine from the south of france has I would say a storytelling so the name means something mm. so we had the chance to taste the simon per savet from cote de lucion village but um, there is a storytelling behind. But each wine, I would say the, the name of each wine is one emotion that Benamagrez had when he was spending time in this appellation.
0: Oh, that's great that there's a, a story and a kind of meaning behind
2: it. Yeah, exactly. So in France, most of the properties are located in the southern part of France. But uh, Benamagrez has also um, properties in other countries, in Spain. Uh, in Spain, with different appellation, there is a there is a Priorat uh, appellation, there is a Rioja appellation, and a Toro appellation. There is also wine from Portugal, from the Douro areas area. There are also wines in um, Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay. Panama Grace is a big fan of this South American wine, so we do also three different quality of wine from this. Uh, from these uh, countries, there is a wine from Napa, California, called Bernard Napa. Mm. There is a wa- there is wine from Morocco that we were just talking about mm-hmm. just earlier, and there is was one very interesting wine from Japan. Made with uh, made from the Kosho grape varieties, which is a collaboration between Bernard and Mr. Aruga, Aruga, a very famous uh, winemaker in Japan. Which, uh, which is really interesting. So, yeah, a uh, very, very interesting wine selection for, of course, different pleasure. And all these wines are, um, how can I say, um, symbolized because there is um, the golden keys on each bottle, because Bernamagres symbol are the golden keys that we can recognize very easily on our bottle. So, every time that you see these golden keys, you know that Magrez is behind, and that it's a proof of quality.
0: And what what are the keys symbolized directly?
2: So the golden keys is the f- the symbol of Magrez because, as Magrez said, um, a key is a symbol that which is l- recognizable all over the world. If you go to Asia, for example, we don't have the same alphabet, so they can't they can't uh, say with our alphabet so they can recognize the, the keys. So the keys is a symbol which is used all over the world and the keys means with a key, we open the door. So the goal is to, um, to open doors with the key and that's Bernard favorite symbol.
0: It's uh, relatable. So any culture can understand. Exactly, yeah.
2: And as Bernard yeah. likes, we, as he likes to say, we, we like to open the door open the door of new terroir yeah. and each new terroir is a new emotion. I'll briefly mention the, the wine that we just poured here. I'd love to, to
0: pour you some as well, Antoine. Yep. This is uh, Merlot-based wine from uh, Vieux Château Certain uh, Pomerol, 2007. Thank you. Cheers. I would love to try wine from Morocco, um, Japan, Uruguay, these are regions that I don't have
1: a whole lot of experience in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we okay. don't have the Uruguay in Seattle, but we do have the Japanese and the Morocco, so we make we sure do. you get one. Okay, well, we'll try <laughs> that. Um, you mentioned
0: the grape from the uh, the Japanese one, you said, what was it again?
2: Yeah, the the Koshu. Koshu, <coughs>
0: that's a white grape?
2: Yeah, um, so we grow grapes there on the pergola training so it means that the grapes are hanging um, and the vineyards is um, is located just near the mont fuji in the center of uh, the center of japan like west of tokyo uh yeah no northwest yeah northwest of tokyo hmm.
0: towards like nagano
2: exactly yeah, not too far okay so getting
0: a bit cooler exactly higher elevation
2: yeah so the koshu grapes is very interesting that uh, you see if you have the opportunity to taste it with Julian. The koshu is a aromatic grape variety, which tastes uh, like, um, tend to be a bit like a muscat, but I would say lighter, lighter I than totally muscat, rumored, and um, with more floral flavors. So it's, it's I would say, more elegant. That, that would say. And then made as a dry wine? It's a dry wine,
0: yeah. Mm. And you found some great reception of that in, of course, w- yeah. I- in Japan, but elsewhere also? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's, a, it's a wine which is highly demanded um, uh, in North America, mm-hmm. but also in, um, in Asia, because everybody is curious about this wine. And uh, for example, when I present the Grand Cru Classe of Amagres, um, when when our customers or collaborators want to have something special, we present the Japanese wine and they usually really like it. What about in Uruguay? Is that Tanat that you're doing? It is, yeah, it, it is Tanat. So, um, yeah, Uruguay is a, is a really interesting uh, country. Some people say that the country which has uh, the best potential in the future. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, I don't have opinion. I think that um, about that. I think that uh, Chile, Argentina and Uruguay are three beautiful countries. For winemaking. Um, The vineyard is located in the northwest of Montevideo, in the southern part of Uruguay. And um, the blend, this wine is mainly made with Tanat.
0: And that's likely close to
1: Buenos Aires. Yeah. So you can fly into Buenos Aires and then take a little trip.
2: Yeah, it's a good idea.
1: Yeah. It's about an hour drive up to go from and you take the ferry from Buenos Aires to Montevideo. Oh, a ferry. Yeah. I bet that's really
0: nice. And then what is, what are the the grape or grapes in the Moroccan wine?
2: Uh, the Moroccan wine uh, is, um, is a blend of, um, we, we grow different grapes, like, but they are French grapes, like, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Syrah. Uh, we also have some Grenache, some Carignan. So the wine from Morocco is a um, is a blend of these four grape varieties. So it's a red. It's a red wine. Um, yeah.
1: But y- Julian, you were mentioning they're doing d'angry. Historically, yeah, historically in Morocco. So remember, Morocco was a French colony. So mm-hmm. obviously, a high influence of French winemaking lifestyle and so on. I and mean, kind of the Mexico for French people in, in for for the longest time. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, so they were doing a lot of the rosé or gris. Mm-hmm. um and then some of the winemakers have evolved to some you know, a bit more structured wine and uh, and those red wines are very beautiful with the lamb for instance i see um, oh with lamb oh like yeah. a tagine yeah, it's with, <laughs> ah. um, we did a, um, a roasted lamb last year yeah. in the summer with uh with some of the excelsior nice. um, it was a 2011
2: vintage which was fantastic mm, yep oh. uh, so <laughs> That and the true. wine tends to not be too heavy because in people's mind, they think like Morocco is very warm country, so the wine going to be heavy and flabby. But as I mentioned, this mm-hmm. the vineyards um, is near the Atlas and get some nice freshness, which allows us to have a very well-balanced wine. Mm. I'm interested to learn a bit about your background, both
0: with Bernard McGray, but um, before that in your work with wine.
2: Yeah, I was an oenologist before... Um, before, I was studying wine for being an enologist f- in France, means we spent five years studying at the university. Um, I was in um, agriculture school, engineer school, so I was uh, studying first the agronomy, the vine growing, and then I moved to the winemaking. After that, I decided that I wanted to get experience, technical experience, so I went to, I was doing vintages in France, as I mentioned, but also in other countries. The goal was to learn about how to grow grapes and how to make wine. And after after five years like that, spending time in northern and southern hemisphere, I decided that uh, it's good to know how to make wine, but it's also good to know how to sell it. (laughs) Mm. So um, yeah, I did an MBA in uh, international wine business. And after several experiences in uh, Italy and in the Rhône Valley, Benamare gave me the chance. He's the, he's, the, he's the only one I would say who, it's hard you know to, to jump from one specialty to another in France. So you need to have people like Benamare who are very open-minded and trust in you. They can see your potential, but he also likes to see when someone um, uh, is motivated. So because of Benamare I had the chance to, to become an export manager, um, export brand ambassador. No, um, Belamigres asked me to be in charge of the West Coast, and I'm coming here every every second month to work on the market, and I have the chance to work in in Seattle with uh, with Julian. uh, With who we are collaborating, I mean that's the perfect collaboration. I I can say we are. uh, I think. uh, Develop a, a friendship, and then we also develop the cell. And uh, together, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to come here and work in in Seattle with also such a beautiful city with nice people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it was my pleasure to meet you um, in the end of 2016 at the uh, event, uh, the blending workshop. Yeah, where we blended Merlot, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Cabernet Franc.
2: Yeah, yeah, together, exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, different proportions to to see how it impacted, uh, uh,
2: that, that, you know, blending. Yeah, that's called B winemaker. B Maker. So it's also uh, Bernard Magrez likes to um, to invest in some startup companies, and uh, he lacks innovation around wine. So we decided to to um, to give a chance to this B winemaker startup that he, he, he bought, and then uh, B winemaker is becoming very very popular and famous in in France, in Bordeaux, and we try to, of course, export the concept. And fortunately, fortunately the first B winemaker maker uh, was in Seattle with Julian and Jay Wines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that we would like to, to do again, maybe in 2017, because uh, it's another way to to promote wines not and promote a brand, not only by doing tasting, but also by giving by giving, sharing our our wines, our knowledge about from Bordeaux, so um, so we give the opportunity to everyone, everyone they can be very, really beginners or they can be wine lovers, to do their own blend, Bordeaux wine blend. So it's a good way to to see that finally. The strength in Bordeaux is the blending, so they understand why, for example, we blend Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, they understand that these grape varieties are helping each other, so, mm. so we, are, we are playing with the blend, tasting the wine, and then of course, according to the taste, we advise, we advise one wine from Julian Portofolio that would be, um, that would be linked with their taste.
1: How did you like the experience of uh, Be Wine Maker? I thought it was
0: it was a great time, uh, especially tasting the individual varietal wines, and then really creating uh, a blend from there makes a brand new wine. It, exactly. It, it's, it's really compelling. Uh, so seeing the Merlot on its own, Cabernet Sauvignon on its own, and then putting them together, it, it is something greater. So it makes sense. Um, why it's done, uh, I suppose, for
1: Bordeaux-style wines. So definitely want to... Because in the, that, U- yeah. in the U.S., people are almost more used to mono right? So mm-hmm. one per bottle. Although
0: um, I think that may be the conception on the bottle. If something is labeled Cabernet Sauvignon, the expectation is that, okay, that's a Cabernet Sauvignon, but our, our legal stipulations allow for blending, um, even if it doesn't say that. So, I think that many winemakers here in the States are following the Bordeaux tradition, but more in secret mm-hmm. um, and labeling it. Yes,
1: yeah, I mean, some are clearly Bordeaux style and others, you're right. Like it's like 90 or 95%. If you want to represent the uh, like Cabernet Sauvignon, it has to be 90%. 75%.
0: 75 So, yeah. So 75%. Gives you room for something else. Uh-huh. The, the rules change depending on uh, if it's an estate. Wine, or depending on certain areas, for example, in Oregon, for wines like Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, uh, Riesling, they demand 90% of that variety to be in the wine. But for other grapes that are typically used in blending, for example, Cabernet Sauvignon, or even uh, Tanat and uh, Tempranillo, those those are less strict at uh, 75%. But Julian, I I met you last year, um, maybe in the summer, I think, Mm -hmm. and was happy to feature uh, your champagne at a few of my events, the Benoit Cocteau. Uh, That is a really tasty wine, and I like that it's featured in different styles as well. You have the Blanc de Blanc and the Rosé Blanc de Noir and the... In the blend, is that yeah, okay. the, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so those are all a part of the J Wines portfolio. Yes. Which comes from your name, Julian?
1: <laughs> yes. <How laughs> not, that? not not of marketing behind the, the name, I guess. Uh <laughs> we actually have the H wines and the J Wines because the H wines is the import and distribution business that sells on B2B and the J Wines is more the consumer um, company.
0: So the the event this past Saturday that I attended was the um, Consumer-facing J ones, but then if you do a trade event for for trade buyers,
1: that would be more H ones. Yes, yeah. Um, so, the, and that it's not that we try to be fancy; just try to we have to respect the complex law in uh, in the state of Washington uh, between uh, the, the two B two B and B two C businesses.
0: Yes, I'm actually interested in that because you're really able to um, span all of the tiers of sales. Yes. And I didn't understand that that was uh, possible, but I guess
1: with the two companies, it makes sense. It's so for the longest time, it hasn't been possible because you're very familiar with the three tier system that uh, exists since prohibition, uh, but Washington state is the only state in the US that changed the law a few years ago where you know, the same company could not uh, have the, th- the three tier, but you can control, and that's why being a former lawyer helps, that you can control the three tiers through two different companies. So I, the two companies don't have any financial interest between one another, but I can be the the owner of the two companies. I see. So, uh,
0: would you be able to have an LLC with two sub LLCs? No. no, they have to be. You have to be unrelated yes. entities. Yes, except you, the, you can the be the on, you can be the owner. Of you the can LLC. be the the member of. Yeah. Both. Um,
1: would you have to have a separate bank account, for example? You need completely separate bank accounts, separate accounting, separate uh, warehousing. Um, basically, the liquor control board considers those are two com- different companies and should be treated as such. Uh, so you have to be very uh, careful of, of, you know, paying very much attention of how you move inventory around. Sounds like you must be very
0: organized to. Uh, you, you have to, yeah. <laughs> software helps. Software does help. What do you use for your software?
1: Uh, mostly now we're moving to Trade Gecko, uh, which is an inventory management solution that actually allows to have several warehouses. Um, so it helps to structure the you know, the flow, because sometimes we have a bottle that needs to go back to a warehouse and so on. So. I see. And can you um, plug
0: in cost and. Um, yeah. Everything,
1: I'm interested in that myself um, for my own projects. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, we've been now operating for a bit more than 18 months and for most of that time we're on Excel, which is a fantastic, as a former Microsoft employee, I can say it's a fantastic software. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, but it's not dedicated specifically to wine management. So it has also, you know, it requires that you do a lot of complex things to to make it work uh, for your business. So
0: what uh, other wines, we? obviously highlighted uh, the Bernard Magret portfolio yep. and I, I mentioned uh, Benoit Cocteau who who's the imp or you're the importer I guess yes yeah. but is is that connected to any of the other wines or other regions in your book
1: so we, we try in our book to so first of all I mean, working with Bernard Magret has been things that has made that business possible uh, it started as a hobby I, I often uh, often say uh, you know one day I knocked at Bernard McGre's uh, door. And I was lucky enough to meet that great team and, and be able to, you know, they allowed me to bring some of the portfolio in the Pacific Northwest, which was uh, awesome because it's a great way to start with a, a, a deeper portfolio without having to knock at 20 different doors. And, and you know that the, the, the quality of the wine is awesome. Uh, plus you've got four, uh, which uh, helps that. Yeah, And then, and then in parallel to that, we are also building our own specific portfolio, which we called uh, Le Mes Amis, which is my friend's wine. And the rule here is very clear is I need to be a friend of the winemaker, or the winemaker needs to be a friend of one of my friends, uh, mm. which gives us you know, no more than two degrees of separation between the winemaker and ourselves, mean that we work with a lot of very small properties in France. Uh, for instance, we'll we should soon work with a friend of Antoine <laughs> who, who is not in, uh, in wine school. Uh, uh, we work with like Benoit Cocteau, I uh, actually met Benoit Cocteau through one of the French member of the, uh, one of the uh, member of the uh, French community in Seattle, uh, who is from from that region and introduced me to Benoit. Um, and so that's, that's really what we try to do is having small owner respectful to the terroir and that we can uh, feature uh, in our, um, uh, in our portfolio.
0: One of the wines that I really enjoyed tasting at uh, one of your events, I don't have it in my book here,
1: but it's uh, the Mont Louis. Yes. So actually, the one you have tasted, we don't even have it in the US yet. So we have this winemaker, we have his uh, Les Graviers. So the, the winemaker is Thierry Moni. Uh, it's a small winemaker in, uh, uh, in Mont Louis sur Loire, which is just across the river from Vouvray. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a wine record that I've known for more than 30 years. It's basically the, where my parents have been going for you know, 30 years and to get the, the dry white wine that we drink in the Loire Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we started by importing his, uh dry called Les Graviers, which has been a great success in the market. A lot of people have loved it. You can, you can find it on our website, but you can find it actually in a few restaurants um, in, around Seattle. Um, and then he has a new cuvée called Le Feuil uh which is a bit more even structured and a bit more complex uh, wine, I would say, uh, which would be fantastic for this fall. So we're going to bring that in uh, in the fall.
0: I really enjoyed tasting that. Uh, we featured it at a Loire white wine comparative and everyone thought it was perhaps uh Vouvray with maybe 10 years of age on it and it had so much complexity. and um touch of residual sugar um and nice was it botrytis notes um and I don't think of the botrytis I think it's m- well it just had so I much th- like there sp- was yeah it was spice a complex character. Character. Yeah, you yeah. know so. it, it just it, it it was great so i look forward to yeah i mean it was very interesting
1: that. to get you guys this. and that's why you yeah, know it was a blind tasting so you guys didn't know what it was um it was a great way for me to get the expert opinion on the, on the wine and look like it was a, a home run so um definitely going head to head with some of the very more expensive uh, wines from that region.
0: Well, maybe we can uh, wrap things up a little bit with, um, you can describe the import process of, let's say you're, you're going to uh, bring bring that wine over in the fall. Mm-hmm. What are the steps that you need to take in getting
1: the wine from Malawi to Seattle? <laughs> So actually getting the wine by itself is not the more complex. Getting the right to bring the wine is is the more complex. Um, As I mentioned, we work with a lot of uh, small winemakers. Obviously when we work with with Antoine and his team, it's slightly different. But when we work with a small winemaker that most likely do not speak English, it's a very um, process that you have handled them all along the way. So the first thing you need to do is actually get them registered with the FDA and then most of the time being the agents, meaning that we take a responsibility that if there is something in the wine, which hopefully will never happen, we actually are responsible for you know, the, the, the substance that is, that is in the wine. Um, then we've got uh, an approval of the label. Uh, we have to go through a TTB based in Washington DC to get all of the labels approved, uh, as well as a specific label for the US, you know, the ones with seen on the back of uh, uh, of the uh, of the battles with the government warning and so on. Uh, it's actually a fairly straightforward process in the sense that you can do now that online. Um, it's a little tricky because sometimes some inspectors have different opinions uh, of what is possible and not opi- or possible on the battle. Mm. Uh, or you've got scenarios by which, for instance, in France, you know, we got a logo for uh, pregnant women saying you know, basically you should not drink wine. Uh, and it's just a small logo that's in the, very often in the front of the labels uh, in the us you need to have in the back the long government warning that says the same thing the ttb um, does not want to have two labels basically meaning the same thing on the bottle so now we need to go back to each of the bottles and put a little sticker so that you don't see the french logo so it's a lot of things like that to cover that to cover that yes it's you know, <laughs> it's, it's often if you feel like it doesn't make sense but that's just part of the process and, and you, know, you, you want to make sure people in the market are, are aware of uh, the, the consequences of, of drinking wine, so it's, it's a little tricky. So all of these little steps um, add up to a lot of administrative work, but then when it comes actually to the time to you know, have the bottle ready at the cellar with the right labels, labels approved, we've got a fantastic uh, logistic partner that picks up the wine in France, Put it in. Uh, now we have dedicated containers, um, which makes our life even easier. Uh, and oh, instead of shared containers? Yes. So we have, you know, last year we had three containers, this year we most likely will have four containers. Four uh, containers of yeah. wine? Wow. Um, so, and, uh, and you know, uh, our partner brings the wine and basically delivers at our warehouse uh, where we just have the uh, easiest part of unloading the container mm. and, and warehousing the wine. Um, so once, I mean, now, once you've gone through the process a few times, then uh, you're kind of very used to Like right now, uh, our rosé container is going to leave France in about 10 days. You know, this morning I registered a couple new labels um, and then everything should go very smoothly. And for May 1st, we will have our 2016 rosé yeah. ready to hit the market. Does it leave from Nantes? Uh, it depends. Uh, so it lives most likely from Le Havre or fos sur mer which is next to Marseille. Depends on oh, where- Oh, down um, south. Yeah. So, so for instance, the rosé is actually going to live from fos sur mer because a couple of the, uh, the winemakers are from Provence. Um, we got some rosé from Bernard Magret, but those ones are housed in, in Bordeaux. So they will just be picked up in Bordeaux and moved to Provence. Uh, when we were, you know, Alsace, Burgundy, most of the time that um, consolidation of the container is happening uh, in Burgundy and then goes through Le Havre, which is in Normandy. So it's a process of moving the wine to a hub via yeah. trucking? Yeah, trucking.
0: And then to a sea port yeah. and then load it onto a ship? Yep. Yeah. And then onto a truck?
1: Yes. Um, does it Does it go through the Panama Canal? Yeah, so initially when we were just working through pallets, the wine was arriving in New York because there's much more traffic between Le Havre and New York than there is with the West Coast. That's for a shared container? Uh, yeah, there are four short containers. And and then it was trekking from New York to Seattle. Now that we have our dedicated container, it goes through the Panama Canal and arrives in Seattle or in Tacoma and then it's being delivered in the warehouse. So it goes through the Panama Canal. So obviously we've got, you know, control temperature, make sure there's nothing bad happening with uh, Mm -hmm. with the wine.
0: What is the time on the boat?
1: 31 days.
0: From France to Seattle? From, yeah. And is there a a period of holding once it arrives in the U.S. where they have to keep it? Or
1: inspections or anything like that? It it could always happen. Um, Look on wood. Uh, The first time our wine stayed about two weeks uh, at customs. Uh, since then it you know, if you do all the, so you have a, what's called a prior notice so 10 days before the wine gets into the harbor, you must send to customs everything meaning like you know, FDA numbers, winemakers, number of bottles etc etc and if everything goes smoothly when the wine arrives uh, when the, the ship arrives it's cleared the same day and it's delivered the day after in, in the warehouse the, that's the that's the best case scenario. Um,
0: You're really the, the master of red tape, <laughs> and, and <just> getting <laughs>
1: through it. it it's you know, It took a it took a few uh, trials and errors to, to make it work, but it does work now. Which means we can yeah you know, we can say that there is really justice between the winemaker and the consumer, which we think is very important. I mean that mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the initial motivation. We got. There are big companies doing a lot more volume than we do, but it's a very different market.
0: Well, I, I admire the work that you do and appreciate that you've teamed up with Antoine here to bring such great wine to our Always uh, great to have to Antoine city.
1: coming in the market and have the support of Darna Magret for sure. We'll be at uh, Pro Wine Pro in, uh, in two weeks in Germany mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll be able to, uh, to chat with uh, Monsieur Magret there.
0: Oh, he'll be there? Yeah. He'll be there. That's mm-hmm. great. Does he still go to a lot of events? Yes,
2: Bernard McGrath is impressive. He's he's around 80 years old, but he has the the energy and the motivation of a 25 years old guy. So now definitely is is, uh, 200% involved at the head of the company and uh, everything which got Bernard McGrath's signature, every label which is on the bottle, every wine that you will enjoy, Everything was, what can I say, signed by Benamagres, but it means that Benamagres agreed with the quality, agreed with the label, agreed with everything. So it means that if you taste wine, wine signed by Benamagres, it means that Benamagres really agreed with the quality of this wine. It's not just a label that we had on the bottom, it's a, there is a, a real involvement of Benamagres.
1: I guess that's why he puts his picture at the, uh, on the back of each of the yes. bottles. He's like very, very. Uh, proud of, of the wine he, he delivers to the market and uh, he's a fantastic. I mean I met him <coughs> uh, Two summers ago now in Bordeaux and he's, he's very impressive. Does he have
0: any family who is also working with him? Um, to carry on the legacy.
2: Yeah, exactly. So the um, Cecile magres Daquin is um, is our actual CEO and uh, she's Bernard Magrès's daughter and she's uh, she gonna be at the head of the company. Uh, and she was, for example, she was with me uh, in California last week to, to meet our collaborator and to, to, to understand better the market, to always improve, improve what we do, improve uh, uh, our wines, to understand better, uh, to adapt our wines according to the, the market. And hopefully next time she will come to the West Coast, she will come to Seattle. Mm. So um, sh- we are thinking about organizing an event when she will be here, uh, because um, West Coast of the US doesn't mean only California; it means also Washington State. So we'll be here.
0: Fantastic! Well, I hope to uh, to be there for that occasion. I want to thank you both for your time today. I Really, thank you. Thank you. Thank learned you. a Thanks. lot. So
1: thank you for everything you do for the wine community in Seattle. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I like to
0: bring people together and. Um, Get more people drinking wine, especially good wine such as what you guys have, and um, make making new friends. I think is my favorite part too.
2: Awesome! So. You are very welcome to come at, in Bordeaux at Chateau Clement and with us, and I look forward to see you there.
0: Okay. <laughs> Until then, cheers! Cheers.